Welcome to Ride Ever Stride, episode 24. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis. This is a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm real happy to be back again here with Master Horseman Van Hargis. How's your day going, Van? Laura, it is going wonderful. I just couldn't get over this, uh, this beautiful weather we're having. Man, it just makes me feel so blessed. How are you doing? I'm doing well, having a good time uh, getting ready to talk about horses. And so getting right into it, what are we going to talk about today? Well, you know, Laura, in a, in a previous episode, we talked about one of my favorite quotes, and that quote was, Mom will tell you, but the horse will teach you. And uh, it's it's always been one of my favorite quotes because it, I, I was one of those typical kids that Mama was always telling me stuff. You know, get out from behind that horse. One of these days, a horse is going to kick your head off or quit doing that or quit doing this. And yet, circumstances would oftentimes teach me much better than Mom would tell me. And uh, so what we're going to be talking about today is kind of the latter part of that quote. Instead of mom telling us, we're going to talk about maybe the horse teaching us. And then in in a more recent episode, we talked about where we're going and the importance of having a plan. But yet, Laura, I get asked the question all the time. So it's like, well, well, how do you know what to work on and when? And when do you address certain things? And, and, you know, so how do you know what to do with the horse? Well, here's the latter part of the horse will teach you. And that's that this, you know, when people ask me that question, my response oftentimes is, well, I don't know exactly. You know, I always have an idea what I want to work on, but the horse tells me more specifically what we're going to work on today. You know, for example, I know in a previous conversation you and I had just recently, we were, I was just saying, you know, I might be leading the horse out of the stall and down the alleyway of the barn and, and the horse spooks at maybe a wheelbarrow or spooks at a saddle pad, you know, hanging on a saddle rack. And if that horse looks a bit concerned or is worried about there or worried about that situation, then there's where we're going to start today. We're going to start by getting the horse over the worry and over the anxiety of whatever it is he just was concerned about. So that's a good starting place. And then once that little situation's resolved, we'll go back to our original plan of walking out to the hitching rail and saddling him up or whatever the case may be. In other words, whatever our idea was for the day, we'll go there. And let's say that today we're going to work on, well, I don't know, something like flying lead changes. And in my warm-up process, I realize that the horse is not quite as soft on the, on the bridle as I'd like for him to be. So that's where we'll start. Or I might notice that as I'm walking him into a circle, maybe the horse's footfall and his cadence is not quite as good as I'd like it to be. So if that's the case, then that's where we're going to start. You see, in other words, I can't really do my flying lead change if the horse is not soft in his face and is not walking out properly, not walking out smoothly. In other words, not being responsive. So whenever I'm asked the questions, well, how do you know exactly what you're going to work on? Well, I don't. I don't really know exactly what I'm working on. I have a plan, but that plan may be adjusted along the way, depending on what the horse indicates to me it needs to work on. And this reminds me of something you talked about, again, in a a recent episode in the context of colt starting uh, and the story you told about the the guy who said, well, you started nine colts in, in 10 days and I never saw you do the same thing twice. 
your response was, I never had the same horse twice. So it sounds like you're saying that's not just sort of a philosophy for starting colds. It's all the way along the process as you're working with a horse day after day after day. And do you, before you get into kind of the steps that you take in evaluating what you're going to do on a given day, I'm just curious, do you have a curriculum you take courses through step one step two step three or is it all kind of depends on the horse on the day well or you know regarding do i have a curriculum well well let's just say it this way let's say somebody brings me a horse that's going to be a a cutting horse prospect in other words uh, maybe they've got this really horse, it's got a really good talent of, of being a cutter, prospected to be a cutter, and uh, and they want me to train it to be a cutting horse. Well, in my mind's eye, the minute they tell me that, I already start thinking of what does a cutting horse do? What does a cutting horse look like? What are all the things that I really want a cutting horse to be able to do? So in other words, I envision, in my mind, as ridiculous it may sound to somebody, I envision the next fraternity winner, you know, the cutting horse fraternity winner, the next champion cutting horse is what I envision. And then I start thinking, well, if that's the goal, then where do I start? And that process starts with literally going all the way back down to this horse leading is he halter trained? I'm so amazed at how many folks tell me, oh, well, I'm going to bring you this horse, Van. He's ready to ride, but uh, and he's already halter broke. And then I get the horse, and I, yeah, he's wearing a halter. He's got a lead rope hanging on him, but you can't lead him around very well. And I'm thinking, well, if this sucker doesn't lead around really well, and I mean really well, like, can, can I move this horse's hips, shoulders? Uh, is he very light on his face? Is he very respectful? If those things aren't in place, then that's where we start. We get the horse to be very well-trained in the halter. And the reason why is that every step is important. It'd almost be like me trying to tell people how to read and yet not tell them the sounds and be able to recognize the letters and the sounds that those letters make and then expect them to go ahead and put those into words. And at the end of the day, us put enough words together to make a a legible sentence. In other words, we've got to start at the very basics. So a horse being very well halter trained is the absolute basic of that. So again, we'll go back to that same thing we talked about a little before. So if I'm leading the horse through the barn and he shies or spooks at something, then that horse needs work on becoming better halter trained. You see, so there's my starting spot. We'll work on that. And when the horse gets really good at doing that, we'll go on to the next thing. And now that's not to say, though, that we're going to let those little bitty things like that distract us from putting together a more productive curriculum that's going to get us to where we want to be in a reasonable amount of time. So what if I'm working on that horse being a little bit spooky? Does that mean I'm not going to ride him until we get him over that? In other words, they're not going to ride him until we get him to, you know, 110% halter trained. And the answer is no, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and ride him, but we're going to work in other things along the way. Now here's an analogy about how we might excuse small behaviors but yet still be productive about moving forward. Have you ever worked with a kid and they're reading and they're reading really well at their level? And then they stop and say, hey, mom, what's this word? Does that mean they can't read anymore until they figure out how to master that word? And the reality is, no, They, you tell them what that word is and you tell them how to recognize those sounds and those letters in, in that word. And you might even go as far as to tell them what that word means. And then you continue on with the program. You see, in other words, that little bitty pause and hesitation doesn't mean that you're going to spend all day working on that one word. It just means you fix that one thing and you move forward. And so your program is very 
it sounds like it's you have a goal in mind, an end state in mind, yes. the image of this, whether it's you know the perfect cutting horse or whatever it is, but it starts with the horse that's presented to you. And this is, you know, the, the title of this episode is The Horse Will Teach You. And you have someone who's brought you a horse that says, I, you know, I want the next futurity winner. I want the next best cutting horse ever. And he's all ready to go. Right. And then that's where the evaluation starts. And here's the hard part with well, that evaluation has got to be very thorough. And people say, well, what's all involved with the evaluation? Well, if we're really looking at training a, you know, a cutter, then we're going to be looking at a lot of things. I mean, I'm going to be looking at his bloodlines. You know, they, depending on how knowledgeable the client might be, they might bring me a horse that's, uh, and I don't mean disrespect toward any other disciplines, but they might be bring me a horse that's really a running bred quarter horse. It's one right off the track, and they want to make a cutter out of him. It, it's not that it can't be done. It's just that his bloodlines aren't really for cutting. It'd almost be like me training a cocker spaniel to be a cow dog. It's not that he couldn't do it. It's just that you know, he's bred to be a, a bird dog. He's not really bred to be you know, a cow dog. So there, there are exceptions, but the reality is if you work within their, their training and work within their breed and their discipline and their bloodlines, you increase your odds. So let's say then beyond there, we go to the next little deal. His bloodlines are good. He's bred to be a champion cutter. So what's next? And we look at confirmation. Well, how is this horse built? Is he built to be athletic? Is he built with low hocks? Is he built with strong hocks? Is he built with a good hind quarter? Is he, is he built even and flat across his back or is he downhill on the front or whatever the case may be? Are there any physical things about him that's going to be really a handicap for this horse being a successful cutter? And again, it's not that he can't overcome some of those handicaps. But the reality is the fewer of those physical handicaps he has, the more likely he is to be a successful athlete. You know, for example, and this is going to date me here, but there was a basketball player once upon a time, and there's going to be a lot of sports fans out there who's going to say, I can't believe you even think that people might not know who this guy is. But there was a guy named Larry Bird that was probably one of, one of the NBA's greatest all-time basketball players. And the only thing he had going for him was the fact that he was about six foot nine and he played forward. And uh, But yet when it come to his ability to jump, he couldn't jump. He had no speed. He wasn't even very quick. But he had excellent technique at working with the tools that God did bless him with. And he was able to overcome all the obstacles along the way, make it to the NBA, and ended up being one of the NBA's greatest all-time basketball players. Now, the odds were against him. So, so I would never tell somebody, oh, no, your horse could never do that because – you know, some Larry Bird horse was going to come along and prove me wrong. But the reality is, is that it's much easier to achieve goals when you've got the right tools to work with. And those tools, can, can, yeah, go ahead. Well, can I ask, I mean, it just occurs to me that we're talking about a situation and that's what this episode is about is whatever the horse is that's presented to you, what you do to learn what they need to know and teach them where, get them where you want them to go. But if you've got, if there's somebody who's listening, who's thinking, oh man, I want Van Hargis to train my next great cutting horse, reining horse, whatever. I'm going to go buy me a horse and take it down to South Texas and have Van Hargis train it. It occurs to me that maybe they ought to get you involved a little sooner if their goal is a, fut a futurity winner, you know, cutting, reining, I don't know, whatever. I'm not, you know, an expert in those areas. Should they maybe, all the things you're describing happen before you ever start teaching them anything 
and they are given facts, should they maybe get you involved in finding the horse for them? Yes, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he did not pay me to say that, but I mean, it just occurs to me. No, if, but if you... <laughs> I'm thinking though of, of your situation, you know, uh, for, for you listeners out there, Laura, you know, coming to the house, she's riding my horse, and then she starts telling me stories about her horses. And with, in reality, what Laura needed was more experienced horses. And the next thing you know, she turns around and goes, oh, I just bought this cute little bay fail. Oh, you didn't know what color she was. but I just, She was a Bay Arabian. Yeah, Bay Arabian. And, and this horse had zero experience. It didn't have that easygoing, quiet disposition that you would want for a beginner rider. And, of course, for those of you out there, you've probably heard this old cliche. And if you haven't heard somebody else say it, you may have heard me say it. And I'm going to repeat it. Is that... Green and green make black and blue. In other words, you take a green horse and a green rider, and you're going to end up with a lot of bumps and bruises. Well, here Laura is, been listening to me for God knows how long, and what does she do? She sneaks off and buys a horse based on the fact that, well, she was cute, and I liked her. She was pretty. And pretty. And, and, uh, but unfortunately— and I couldn't ride yeah, her. Yeah, couldn't ride. And it was a great little mare. I mean, I had a blast riding her, uh, but unfortunately, she just wasn't a good match for you. So to answer your question, would you advise somebody seeking out their trainer to help buy and purchase a horse that kind of fits that mold of what their long-term goals would be? Yes, absolutely. Because it does increase the the odds of success a little bit when you've got that. And, and of course, the, the reality there is, is that get a reputable trainer to work with you in that, you know, just because there's some guys out there that's just going to sell you his neighbor's best horse because he's wants to stay in good graces with his neighbor. But the reality is, is that get somebody that's very honest and it really cares a lot about you and cares a lot about helping you achieve your goal and, uh, and is reasonable in his pricing and doing so. And who knows what characteristics are needed in a horse for the discipline that you want to, you know, because the horse that's perfect for, uh, I don't know, for cutting may probably will not be perfect for dressage or show jumping or whatever it is you want to do. So you want to find a trainer who understands what kind of horse, both temperament wise and confirmation and bloodlines, all those things you were talking about are best suited for what you want to do with your horse, even if it's just trail riding. Yeah, exactly. And often, so, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack. No, no, no. And oftentimes, even the even the talent level and the emotional level and the personality of the rider. For example, I've got, you know, like in, well, that little a mare of yours is a good example. You know, uh, I can't remember the little bay mare's name now, but fair play. fair play. That's right. She was a great little mare for somebody who who really had good writing skills and good leadership skills. Not that you don't have good leadership skills with people, but you lack leadership skills with a horse. You weren't quite there yet. And yet she was young enough in her learning that she very much needed a leader. And I don't know if you remember, Laura, but my frustrations were – why can't you get this mare to go where you want her to go? Because oh, watch, she just, and I she, could ride her yeah. without a bridle almost and just go yeah. all kinds of And ways. I'd get on her back and you could almost see her turn around, look at me and go, oh, it's you. You're right. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and in fairness to Fair Play, who now goes by the name Stormy, I gave her to someone who has, uh, together, they've had a very successful career, so to speak, in endurance riding. Right. And she's doing so well for that rider who was a better and stronger, more confident rider right. than I was. But anyway. Well, and my, the, the good thing is there, I mean, think about that situation in comparison to the, or in reference to the title of our show, that 
What did that mare teach us? She really taught us a lot. She had trainability. She was very you know easy to train from my perspective. But what she also taught us was is that hey, I I need I need a leader up there. I need somebody that can help guide me. I'm keep in mind I'm I'm kind of young, and uh, and and I need you to tell me what to do. And not that she wasn't a good horse, you know that she was a very very good horse. But the reality is, and and I say this with all due respect to you, you couldn't offer her anything other than a really good yeah. home. But as from a standpoint of being a leader and knowing what you wanted, she needed somebody who knew what they wanted and could help her seek that out. Uh, and I was not that person. Right. And I, you know, that became obvious very yeah. quickly. And so to me, that's, uh, it's a real significant thing in lo- what I learned from that horse and from the experience there. And, and maybe I guess that's why I, brought up the thing of if you have something in mind you want to do with your horse, uh, unless you yourself are an expert in horse confirmation and all of those things, you should get an expert involved before you go buy the horse to choose the right horse for the job you have in mind. Now, getting back to where we were, setting aside that, if that hasn't happened or if it has, you now have a horse that's been brought into your program to be trained for a particular use, a particular job that they have in mind, particular goals that they have, and they've said to you, and and he's all ready to go, you just can start working on the reining stuff or the cutting or whatever today, and you have told us already, you listen to that, but then you go to the horse and let the horse tell you what it needs to learn. Right. And and part of that is we have to kind of, again, we'll go back to a, a previous episode. We have to know where we're going and then we have to have the discipline to start mapping out steps to get there. And in part of that evaluation is, is knowing, well, what are the things that we really need? Well, with every horse, I'm going to oversimplify it here. And you've heard me say this a hundred times, but it's something that works for me. And I, I swear by it and do it every day. Forward movement control of forward movement and the stopping of forward movement. So that's part of the evaluation. Forward movement. Does a horse walk nicely? Walk with a good cadence. Is he nice and soft on the bridle and then or in the halter at this case maybe? And then the control of forward movement. In other words, can I turn him left? Can I turn him right? Can I walk, trot, and lope him? All of those are controlled forward movement. Uh, directional control as well as speed control. And then lastly, of course, we want to be able to stop forward movement. And all of those things, depending on what we're going to be using that horse for, will determine uh, how well the horse does those specific things. For example, forward movement. Well, I need a, say, a Western Pleasure horse to have the best walk you can possibly imagine. Perfectly cadenced, perfect good stride on all four legs, so on and so forth. And and then the same thing at a trot and a canter. Uh, but yet a cutter, as long as he's moving across the pen nice and smooth, athletic, and with his feet up underneath him good enough to where he can stop and turn around pretty darn nice, we're not going to be as specific about how pretty the horse moves forward. We're more worried about how functional the horse moves forward. So it all depends really on, on what it is that we're shooting for to, to determine the degree of expertise we want the horse to master each one of those little bitty steps. But at the same time, with every horse out there, we've got to have forward motion, control of forward motion, and then lastly, the stopping of that forward motion. And the steps along the way, the horse will tell us how specific we need to be or what the horse knows and doesn't know and how much time time we need to spend on those exercises until those that horse achieves a level that we need him to be. 
I mean, there's there's so much there that we could get into. I think we don't want this to be a two-hour-long podcast episode. Any last words on this topic of, you know, the horse will teach you before we wrap this one up and get ready for future episodes? Well, I think first and foremost, we've got to look at what I think is the most important thing that this horse needs to, that we need to evaluate this horse for, and that's safety. Safety's first. In other words, is this horse safe on the ground? Is he safe to halter? Is he, or first, is he safe to catch? Is he safe to halter? Is he safe to lead? Uh, what are his ground manners like? Uh, what is that behavior like? And any of those areas, let's say, for example, we had a horse the other day, they were saying, oh, he's really great. But boy, when you go to bridling, boy, he's a really a pain in the butt to bridle. He's going to pull his head up. You can't hardly reach the thing. You got to stand on a mounting block to reach his head to put it up there. Well, okay. Well, that, there's a great place to start because when the horse is hard to bridle, he's unsafe, you know, but yet too many times people say, well, but he's great at everything else. He's just hard to bridle. Well, that's where I'm going to spend a significant amount of time on fixing that area. Getting that horse to where he's comfortable for whatever reason. Why is he uncomfortable? Evaluate that. And once we determine why he's uncomfortable, then we want to start bringing him down to where he's more comfortable about being bridled, about having his ears handled, about having our hands around his face and his eyes and his ears and over the pole region of his head. In other words, get him to where he's comfortable with that and to where he's safe when it comes time to bridle him and easy on us. Because too many times I see people will tolerate a certain behavior, such as a horse that's a little bit ears shy or head shy, and they'll tolerate it. But we have to realize many times as humans, uh, or we can be very tolerant, but I've also seen people that are very tolerant until something a little bit goes wrong, and then suddenly we get a very short fuse. And then we react. And when we react, we cause a more severe reaction in the horse. And then before you know it, the trust that we'd built up to, to help the horse overcome his head shyness has now just been torn away and the head shyness is valid in the horse's mind. So we have to fix those things so that we can hopefully keep somebody from lighting our fuse, so to speak. So there's, it's very important to fix those things along the way, and the horse will tell us what things need to be addressed and what things need to be fixed. And then uh, in doing so, we end up being a little bit, uh, you know, obviously a lot safer with our horses and a little bit more on target to our goals. And then the second thing is, is that after safety, then I want form to function. In other words, what do I want to do with it? That's kind of what we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. What do we want to do? Does the disposition match? Does the confirmation match? Um, you know, do I want this? Do I really want to spend a lot of time trying to train this little Shetland pony to be a world champion barrel horse? He's probably not going to be very successful you know, at doing that, you know, not that he wouldn't try like heck, but his little short legs is just not going to compete with those horses that are built a little bit better. So we want to have a form to function. And even the form to function has to do with the degree of training a horse might have. Uh, For example, do I really need a horse that's going to be used maybe strictly for trail riding and riding out in the country? Do I really need to spend a lot of my time worrying about flying lead changes? I mean, it would be fun to have the horse that had those really cool buttons, but do we really want to spend our time and the frustration that it may take on ourselves as well as the horse to teach it that? In other words, is it, is it something that's really going to help the horse be a better trail horse? And the answer is no. So we have to kind of think about those things too along the way. And then lastly is performance. So I want to think of getting even more specific. Uh, when I'm thinking of performance, I've got to think of 
what task and what things that I need for this horse to be really successful at that performance level. And let's say, again, let's go back to the cutting horse analogy. I need a cutting horse to, number one, be very cowy, meaning that he's very curious about cows. He wants to, he has a desire to be around cows. Uh, he has a desire to want to play with cows, believe it or not. And if that's the case, we go to the next thing. How is he athletically? And then what do I need to do to train him to be a better athlete? And I want to incorporate exercises that in, that uh, help develop that natural athleticism to help him be more successful on, a, on that very specific performance event. So safety, form and function, and then ultimately performance would be some of the other things we would think about. And the horse will, if we listen and we pay attention to, to what he does and what he doesn't do, he'll kind of tell us where we need to focus a little bit more of our time. So it starts... As we've already said in previous episodes, it starts with knowing where you want to go and then letting the horse show you what they need to learn and improve in to get from here to there. Absolutely. And he'll teach you also is so let's say that while you're doing a respective exercise, whatever that exercise may be, and you have in your mind where this horse may need to put his feet, for example. And when that horse puts his feet in the right place every time and, and in the process of doing so, he's soft on his face. He's soft throughout his entire body. His mind and his, his attitude is also soft and he's, he just feels good to you, so to speak. Then you know that, okay, good. We've got that part done. Let's go to the next. And you just you just keep mastering those steps as you go. So the horse will teach you whether or not what you're doing is working, whether or not your plan is working. And if all of those components are there, such as softness, uh, and when I say softness, I'm not talking about just physically. Is he soft on the bridle? I mean, is his mind soft? Is his footfall fluid? In other words, all of those things just feel good. Does the horse feel relaxed? And in the process of him telling us that, uh, then he'll teach us what we need to go to, what we need to go to next. Love it. And I'm sure we will be talking about all of these things in more detail going forward um, in future episodes. But I also know, Van, that you would love to hear from listeners any questions that have come up in their minds as we've talked about these topics today, anything they'd like you to go into more detail in. Uh, stories they want to share about what's worked and not worked for them, uh, listeners can share those things in a couple of different ways. There is a comment section on the show notes for this episode, which you find on the podcast section of vanhargis.com. So you can go there and leave a comment. You can also visit the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page. If you're on Facebook and if you haven't already done so, find Van Hargis Horsemanship there, like the page, follow it, and... Uh, you know, post something there. And if you've got a question or a comment that you'd like to share, but maybe don't want it to be public at this point, you can email your questions, comments, and suggestions to Van at info at vanhargis.com. And you will most certainly get a response either directly via email or in a future episode as we may want to do maybe a, a Q&A episode as questions come in in the future. If you're liking the show, if you're getting something out of it, we would love it if you would help spread the word about Ride Every Stride. The two key ways you can do that is tell your friends, share the podcast with your friends, whether on social media or in person. If you've got a horsey friend who doesn't know about Van or about Ride Every Stride, show them how to find it in iTunes and how to subscribe to it right there on their phone so you can listen to episodes while you're cleaning the barn or doing whatever you do. 
And especially consider leaving a review of Ride Every Stride on iTunes. Uh, those really do a couple of things. Van really appreciates the feedback to let him know whether he's on track. But it also helps other people find the show and uh, join this conversation in this community. Before we wrap up, I want to say a special thank you to our producer of Ride Every Stride, John Buchanus, without whom this uh, podcast would not be in your earbuds right now. So thanks so much to John for all the work that he does in making it possible for Ride Every Stride to get out there into the world. And I think that's it for this episode. Any last thoughts before to wrap up? I can't think of a thing at the moment, Laura, other than just to kind of reiterate what you're just mentioning there. Please get back with us because it really does mean a lot to me. It, you know, it kind of fuels my fire, so to speak. Uh, we've had so many wonderful emails and so many wonderful responses back from people, but I really want to encourage people to continue to do that, continue to reach out to us and let us know. And also let us know if there's specific topics or specific situations you would like us to discuss. And now we'll, we'll keep that in you know perfect anonymity if they if people would like for us to do so but we would love to hear your stories and if it's something we can share on our podcast we'd love to do that and I, as always just a huge big thank you to everybody who does listen and everybody that gets back to us and let us know and Laura, with that said i'd like to remind everybody that it's your life your trail your journey so ride every stride